Well, good morning, Nukav. He is risen. It's so good to see you. Thanks for being here. And those of you online, we welcome you. What an amazing Sunday for us to be able to celebrate. I want you to know this past Wednesday, the Bonham Space History Museum auctioned the following lunar dust little capsules. It was taken from the Apollo 11 1969 mission, and they finally put it up for auction. These five specimen marks the first time Apollo 11 findings could be sold at an auction. Still in its case. And this rare relic was, uh, was sold for, are you ready for this, $504,375. When you leave this morning, we're going to share some of that with you. <laughs> now, there are still some who think that the, uh, the land moon landing uh, was not ha- did not happen. They figured since it was a space race to beat the Russians uh, to the moon, the landing of the moon was staged in spite of eyewitnesses. You had Neil Armstrong's testimony, you had video, you had collection of dust, as you see, that does not match any of the particles, p- particles on the earth today. But today we focus on something much larger than moon dust. We celebrate the one who made moon dust. And I'm excited for us to talk about the, the fact of Jesus and the, the relevance of him being uh, raised from the dead. Now, one of the things I want to do talk about, I do realize that some still... Uh, question the validity of Jesus' coming back alive. We'll talk just for a moment about that. We'll touch on some evidence of the resurrection. But I want us to spend the bulk of our time on the relevance of the resurrection. So what? It should make a difference, but so what? And so the passage that we're going to look at, no surprise to those of you at, who've been here uh, over the past 40 days. We're in the book of Mark, and if you brought your Bibles, Mark 15... Verses 42 to 47, we'll start with page 1022, if you're using the Bible in the seat pockets in front of you, and you're welcome to take that Bible home if you don't know where yours is. Mark 15, verses 42 to 47. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate to ask for his body. Now, this is, this is important for us to know when we talk about the evidence. Jesus died in mid-afternoon on Friday. Sabbath began at, uh, at, at sunbreak, I mean, at the evening sun as it would go down. And then, of course, on Saturday, there was no way they could bury the body. No work was to be done. So Joseph of Arimathea, and he calls him by name, Joseph of Arimathea, he sees that Jesus is dead and he wants to be able to bury Jesus' body before the Sabbath starts. Let's look at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bound, bound some, bought some linen Cloth took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. I'm a fan of Tim, Tim Keller's. Tim Keller talks about this. He said, the way that Mark describes, describes this in verses 42 to 47, the burial is significant because, he, again, he identifies witnesses. 
which this is huge for us to know. He calls out Joseph of Arimathea. Then he also calls out a Roman centurion. And thank, thank the Lord you don't have this job. His job, only job, was to find out if the person on the cross was dead. And he was the one who had the legal right to be able to say he's not dead or he is dead. So he calls out the Roman centurion, draws, draws attention. And then he finally notices two women who are cited as eyewitnesses, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. They saw where he was laid. So you have multiple experts and witnesses prove that he's already dead. It's not hearsay. Then you throw in the stone. The stone had three things going for it. First, it weighed two tons. Secondly, it was sealed. And then it was guarded by 12 uh, guards. Uh, they would stand back to, four at a time would stand back to back so that no one could sneak up on them. And the other eight would sleep while the other four would take their turn. Mark has more to say. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of that week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? He refers to these women and he calls them by name. Once again, he's making a mark of historical matter. He's a, it's a historical account. It's not a legend. The fact that he repeats the names, he's basically saying, if you want to check out the story, check out these ladies that were there. They're still alive. You can ask them. Paul, later on, <coughs> makes a long list of people found in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me quickly run to that, and then we'll come back. Jesus was seen by Peter. He was seen by the 12. After that, he was seen by more, by more than 500 of the followers at one time, most of whom are still alive today. Some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the, by all the apostles. Last of all, as though, it had been, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So Paul makes this, this, this record going... There are so many people. Check out the 500 plus people. If you wonder if Jesus was really dead, check out the 500. And check out the 500 who also saw him alive after the third day. Back to the story. Verse 4 of chapter 16. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Two tons. And other gospels... Uh, talk about that the guards had all fled. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Look at the place where they laid him. Now go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee, then you will see him just as he told you. Imagine, here they are, they're going to see Jesus, they, they're going to finish up all the work that needs to be done, and Jesus is gone, they don't find a dead body, in fact in this story, death dies. This is huge for all of us, and we'll see this in the relevance, death dies. Jesus has overcome everything, the only thing that's not to be overcome is death, and Jesus says, Watch this. And he takes care of death itself. Now, they shouldn't have been surprised. I mean, think about this. 
all through the Gospels. And in, in the book of Mark, we hear Jesus says, hey, I'm going to be, uh, go through a difficult time. I'll be crucified. I will, I will rise again. I will be tormented, but I will rise again. I will be subject to beatings. I will die, but I will rise again. In fact, even in Mark 8, this is, I find it humorous to me, uh, which means it won't be funny to you. But in Mark 8, Jesus tells Peter, I'm going through a hard time in Jerusalem. I will be uh, beat, beaten and spat upon, but I will die on the cross and I'll be raised from the dead. And Peter rebukes him. I'm thinking, oh my word, be careful who you rebuke. Chapter 9 of Mark, he says to the disciples, his, to his father, he says, hey, I'm going to head to Jerusalem where it's not a pretty sight. I will be... Uh, beaten and, and taken, taken advantage of, and then I will die on the cross, but I will rise from the dead. They didn't understand, but they said, hey, we have a question about this. And they said, but the question is not with you, it's among us. Which one of us is more important? Oh, my word. Jesus is saying, I'm about to die, and I will rise again. And they're arguing about, now, which one of us gets an A-plus on the disciples' uh, test? Oh, my word. Oh, it gets better than that. It gets so much better. Mark 10. Jesus tells them once again, all of what's going to happen, I will die. I will rise again the third day. And they, they said, hey, we got a question for you, Jesus. Uh, we were kind of wondering if we could sit in the seat of honor uh, on the right side and left side of you. Would that be okay with you? Oh, my word. Can you believe it? They're treating Jesus like a vending machine. They're treating Jesus like a divine waiter. Who would do such a thing? Uh, I can find myself so many times treating Jesus like a vending machine or a divine waiter that he works for me. Well, you would have, think, would have thought that at least one of the disciples would th- thought after the third day, hey, it is the third day. Maybe we should go check out the tomb. You remember Jesus did say something, but no one did. They did not expect a resurrection at all. It didn't occur to them that there would be a resurrection. Now, before we give them any more of a hard time, which I've already done enough of that, maybe we should do a little self-examination. Maybe we get so preoccupied with life and have so many different events and busyness, good things, bad things, all kinds of life happens, and we forget about the power of the resurrection and how Jesus wants to impact our lives. When we remember that Jesus defeats death, it reminds us there's nothing he can't do. That he lives within us, which allows us to navigate life events with hope. Here comes the relevance. That we can navigate life events, whatever may come, whatever may come. Death has been defeated, whatever may come. You have the power of Jesus Christ living in you if you've invited Christ to be your, your Savior. You have that. The resurrection of Jesus is the pillar of the Christian faith. Louis Giglio, another one of my favorite uh, speakers, he says, imagine being at your own funeral. Your own funeral. You're lying there in the coffin. And all of a sudden, hey, you're alive. He said, that's, that's what you call... A return. He said, that's what you call 
basically saying, now that's an ultimate comeback. But he makes an example, brings it back to first century, and he says, switching to first century cultural patterns, Jesus walks out of the tomb, living and breathing, smiling, holding onto your hands to friends so they can check your scars to make sure it's really you, looking not at all pale or sickly, but better than the best version of yourself that could ever be. That's the ultimate comeback. A human body is lying there dead. Grave clothes are wrapped around the corpse, embalming done, stone rolled across the entry and sealed on a stone bench. Suddenly, blood begins to course through the veins again. The heart begins to beat. The cells start working again. The body takes a breath, stretches, stands up, comes out, walks around for everyone to see. And this body has lost capacity to ever die again. Incredible. And we have, yeah, go for it. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. Okay, that sounds really good. That sounds like a Sunday statement. How does that affect on Monday? That when Jesus walked out of the tomb on a third day, the word impossible was deleted from our dictionary. Many of you may know this. One, almost one year ago to the day, Karen and I didn't know if our son Kevin was going to live through COVID. He's in the hospital all by himself, struggling to get, grasp just even a little bit of breath. And we had no idea if Jesus was going to heal him or not. We had no idea what was going to happen. Karen and I had a discussion, numerous times actually, and our discussion went like this. Do we really believe everything we've been teaching all these years? And if we really believe that Jesus joins us where we are, then don't you think he will take care of us regardless of what may come? Simple, not easy. It's simple to say that. It's just not easy to live out. I call it preemptive faith. Now, that may sound redundant to you, preemptive faith. But when you preempt faith, it's a front-end decision to trust regardless of what comes. It is a front-end decision that you make to say, I'm going to trust Jesus regardless of what may come. Now, I can tell you uh, he's 100% this year so you say well easy for you to say preemptive faith because now he's all fine okay you could say that one year ago at the very same time that Kev was in the hospital I was diagnosed with Parkinson's preemptive faith if Jesus can carry us regardless, then certainly can't he do that? Well, absolutely. Whatever may come, it's just whatever may come that you say, God, this, this relationship is falling apart. I trust you with this, my finances, my health, whatever it may be, that we decide to make a decision that if Jesus ultimately beat death, and if the power of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, who was raised from the dead, lives within us, don't you think he can probably help me through whatever may come? 
We're going to challenge all of you to embrace preemptive faith, that you would make a decision this morning or re, uh, recommit to, to a decision say, I'm because of what Jesus has done on the cross, I'm, 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 I'm going to count, give my life to him. I'm going to trust him, whatever. Again, when we remember that Jesus overcame death, it reminds us that there's nothing he can't do. That he lives within us, which allows us to navigate life's events with hope. It's not a guarantee of problem-free living. We live on this side of eternity. So we all are subject to issues. But it's a guarantee that you will never be alone. It's a guarantee that the one who created moon dust is with you. You see, the empty tomb is a promise that God will never leave his redemptive work half done. And that's the beauty of you making a commitment to Jesus today. That he will continue to, to, to work out whatever he wants to develop within you. Okay. So I'm not landing the plane, but I'm circling the runway. The list of objective evidence regarding the resurrection is substantial. So here's what we looked at. Jesus' body was dead. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. The Roman guards were AWOL. The grave clothes were present. Hundreds of witnesses reported what they saw. But there's one last thing I want to talk about that I think just covers all these other, other, other uh, evidence. Someone has to explain how a scared group of disciples were transformed into bold, courageous leaders. Changed lives. Because they recognize that Jesus, who was raised from the dead, lives within them, and there is nothing they cannot do with the power of Jesus in their life. All the disciples, according to sources outside the Bible, so we're not, I'm even laying claim to sources outside the Bible. Even so, according to sources outside the Bible, all the disciples suffered martyrdom except John, who died on an island. People do not die for something they don't believe in. People do not die for a lie. I can tell you my life's different because of what Christ has done. And many times it's a moment-by-moment decision to say, this preemptive faith, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I want you to redeem what's going on in my life. So why is the crucifixion and resurrection such a big deal? Look what he's done. Look what he's done. Because Jesus beat death, we can handle anything that the world gives us, throws at us. He can, he can, he can help us handle devastating, uh, crumbling relationships. He can take care of failures, the general disappointments of life on this side of eternity. The loss of a loved one, trying to navigate. How do you navigate the loss of a loved one? Betrayal, whatever. You just name it. Jesus' victory over death gives us the opportunity to overcome and face anything that may come. The secret is how Jesus' resurrected life, resurrection life infuses our ordinary lives with the same kind of power. Louis Giglio continues with this. The resurrection power of the Almighty, the Almighty God that brought Jesus up from the grip of the death and hell is living in you. 
we need to take hold of this. We need to be sure that we understand how important the resurrection of Jesus Christ is to us personally. It's a complete game changer. So what do we do? We're caught between the already of the resurrection and the not yet of his return. What, what does this mean for us? I close with Galatians 2.20. We've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the body on this side of eternity, I live by faith in the Son of God, preemptive faith would be a good way. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look what he's done. He's provided a solution. He would live a life that we could not live. He would bear punishment that we should take on. His job description was to come and to lay his life down for all of us. Look what he's done. All so we could experience what we could never achieve on our own, never earn our own, never buy on our own. Look what he's done. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we begin to move toward the end of this service, that this really would be just the beginning. That we would give our lives to you. I pray for those who are facing such difficult times. God, may the power of Jesus, the same power that raised him from the dead, would you encourage them? Would you bring healing to them? Would you go with them? Father, thank you that you've said that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, and that you can cause all things to work together for good, whatever may come, if we love you and seek you. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. We just give thanks for all of that and pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So think about this. For God so loved the world, he cannot love you any more than he already does. That he gave his only son, he cannot give you any more than what he's already given. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He cannot make it any more simple. And so we want to call you to receive that gift that he's offered. Sins are forgiven. All we have to do is accept it. Forty days ago, we started with this passage, and we end with this. Mark 8, 27 to 29, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? When you came in, there was a card in your seat. Will you find that card, please? We have a statement of faith. We're going to close with some singing. But we have a statement of faith that we would like to challenge you to make. And here is this statement of faith. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus is the one who became a man to save humankind. The one who died on the cross to pay for the cost of my sins. The one who's raised from the dead.
the one who will return one day to rescue those who follow him. I believe Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. We're going to ask you to commit to this. Maybe you've been thinking about being, becoming a follower of Jesus for some time and you've just, for whatever reason, been checking it out and maybe this is the, the exact time that God knew you would be here to experience this. And what a great day on an Easter day to say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me and I receive it. And for many of us, it's about a, a solidifying or renewing. And so for those of you who are already followers of Jesus, I want to ask you to recommit just to solidify this, uh, this faith to say, I believe these things. So here's a prayer I'd like for all of us to pray. Together in just a moment, Jesus, right now, I choose to trust you with all my life. I've tried to make life work apart from you, it's not working. My life is full of sin. I cannot do enough good on my own. I admit that because of my sin, I need hope. So here I am, I lay my past. Considering following Jesus, I just think that's awesome that you would even consider 